Well, church family, are you excited to be at church this Sunday? Let's give the Lord a big hand. And I can say that because church is not a building. It is where God's people gathers. You know, there's something just to sing about that song. And earlier today as we sang about uh, the return of the Lord, there's a purifying aspect factor uh, when we think about the return of the Lord. There are certain things that's just not going to matter when Jesus shows up. You know, when we think about what buildings we gather in for church, that's just not going to matter uh, when Jesus returns. What kind of clothes that we wear on Sunday mornings and those things, that stuff's just not going to matter uh, when we stand before Jesus because on that day, all that will matter is our hearts being full as we worship our Savior. And so I am so excited uh, to get to be here this morning. One of the things that I am praying for uh, for us at Eden Baptist Church during this time uh, when we're kind of camping out, uh, here at the old Mormon Jordan High School, what I remember, the Burkett Center, I had somebody ask me on the way in, said, Pastor Zach, do you have any bad memories from this place? And I said, well, not necessarily from this room, but if you went just about 20, 30 yards up the hallway to where Mr. Trotter's office used to be, now that's, that's a different story. I've got a few bad memories there. But, you know, one of the things that I am praying that the Lord does among us as a church this summer is in the same way that when the children of Israel went through the season in the wilderness, when they were camping out, God was molding them. God was refining them. God was taking things that were in them and casting them off to the side to prepare them for what God had next. And and church family, I, I believe that God has something special, something next for Enon Baptist Church and for all of us as part of that as far as reaching this community in North Jefferson, even the nations for the gospel. And I think that in that the Lord could absolutely do a refining work in us this summer. And so I encourage you, cooperate with what the Lord is speaking and doing in your heart and life this summer. But I do want to take a moment and and say happy Father's Day to all of our dads in the room here this morning. Dads, I hope uh, that you enjoy some much Uh, needed and deserved appreciation today in the form of hugs and words of affirmation and gift cards and some of the most delicious calories that the world has to offer. Uh, Because I'm always busy on Sundays, we celebrate Father's Day on the weekend uh, leading up to that. And so on Friday night, my wife made two homemade apple pies. And I feel like I I have to confess this, they're no longer with us today. Um, And... So I I hope you have a similar experience. But hey, in all honesty though, dads, I want to let you know you matter more than you could possibly imagine. As while the man and the woman are absolutely equal and God has called all both of you to be uh, spiritual leaders for your family. Men, you are to be the head of the household, the pastor of the home, the priest of the household. And so this morning I, I want to challenge you in the days ahead as you lead your family to love Jesus well. One of the best things that you can do for your family men is for you to personally love Jesus. Love your wife well in sight of your children. And I would say when you fail, because there's no such thing as a perfect dad, when you fail, model repentance to your children. It'd be one of the greatest things that you can do. And I would say just personally meet with Jesus and feast on the Lord uh, yourself. But one of the things I do want to do this morning is if you're a dad this morning, or even a granddad for that case, that has a child still in the home, and that's a child is in like 18 and under in that college range and, and under. If you have a child at home that's like 35 and no plans to get out, then, then uh, you need to go get them out. Anyway, but... 
Um, but if you have a child in your home this morning still, would you stand up right there where you are just for a moment? I'm not going to embarrass you or any way like that. So, yeah, praise the Lord for these guys. Now, hey, this is what I, I want to do, too. If you are a dad this morning, a father who has raised children who are out of the home for the most part, I want you to look around you and find one of these men that's close to you, and I want you to walk over and lay a hand on them. Can we do that real quick? So, dads, if you've raised your kids, can you look around and go lay a hand on maybe one or two of these guys there next to you? And I just think there's something special about having some men who have been there, done that, uh, to pray over you this morning and stretch your hands. Uh, and I know that we may not have enough dads to go around, but I would say husbands and wives and the whole church family, if you can just stretch your hands towards the closest dad near you. And uh, let's pray. Let's take a moment to pray over these men. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that of all of the images and illustrations that you could have given us for you, O oh Lord, is that you chose Father. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you're a good Father and that you give good gifts to your children. And so, Lord, I pray for these dads that are standing here today, God, that are still the shepherds in their home. I pray, God, I, I ask you in Jesus' name, would you take fear away? God, I know it's real easy to bear the fear of what does it mean to be a spiritual leader, be bear the fear of what does it mean to, to lead my family. Is that, God, you have blessed them with children, and God, in and of themselves, they can't do it. But, oh, God, in you, they can. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray right now, would you empower and indwell each and every one of these men. God, I pray that you would give them strength to stand against the adversary. And, God, I pray, help them, Lord, to focus personally on loving you first. And then, God, I pray that that would pour out to their, to their, in their marriage and to their children. God, I pray in Jesus' name. I bind the enemy from these men today. Pray you'd raise them up, God. Let, they, let it be the greatest, their greatest desire to be known as a godly father, as a godly man. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Can we give these men a big hand? Praise the Lord for them today. So today we're going to pick up in our series entitled, Who is Jesus? Where we are looking at the seven I am statements in the book of John. Remember our goal for this summer is that by looking at these statements, by looking at these promises uh, that Jesus is giving to us to describe who he is to us, that I'm praying that God revives us personally, that we fall in love with Jesus afresh and anew this summer. All of us is God's people. We want this to be your best summer in the faith. And so I encourage you, focus on these things all week and meet with the Lord. And then also, if there are those who are here this morning who you don't know what it means to walk with Jesus, you don't know what it means to know what he offers today, that you would hear these as invitations from God to come and know him. And so today we're going to look at the third I am statement, which is in the book of John, that is found in John chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 10. And I'm going to invite you, all who can, to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's Word. And if you can't stand, you feel free to just reverence the Lord right there where you are from your seats. So John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, it says, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, 
but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. And Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, and here is the I am statement, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And then he says again here in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray. Lord, I truly ask in Jesus' name today. Lord, you know the hearts and lives of every person here. I pray, would you speak to your people today? Would you bind the enemy, God, from this place? I pray, God, that you would put your words in my mouth, God, for your name and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as you can see here in this passage this morning, we find twice where Jesus uses the third I am statement saying, I am the door, and that's why we have such a wonderful door that's here today. Thank you, Mike Quick, for building that for us uh, this, this morning. Uh, for most of us this morning, doors and doorways are positive things. You know, doors give us access to places we want to be. Doors are usually the focal point of our homes. And if you're a good southern woman, you probably use your door, you decorate it from time to time, maybe to match the different seasons. Maybe during the summer, you decorate it with flowers or maybe an ornament of a big sunshine. And maybe when at Christmas, you use your doorway, you decorate it with Christmas lights and tinsel and all sort of things. And when it gets to the fall, you may put some some sweet little pumpkins out front and maybe a cute little scarecrow. And, And for all of you godless heathen who celebrate Halloween, you may put a big trick-or-treat sign out front. But the reasons why we do this is because doors are a good thing. And those who have the gift of hospitality, they use doors as a way to greet people, to welcome people. In fact, the only time that I can remember somebody being upset about an open door to them was in a church bulletin mess-up kind of blooper one time uh, where the church announced to its congregants, please remember that the low self-esteem group will meet this Thursday from 7 to 8.30. Please use the back door. And so, and you can get that in a few moments. But in all seriousness, as we see here in verse 9, the door or the gate, depending on your translation, is a beautiful promise from the Son of God to the world. But for us to really be able to understand this promise, we've got to see the greater context of what he's saying in this teaching moment. Essentially, Jesus' statement here about him being the door comes in a moment when he is rebuking and pretty much calling out the religious leaders of the day of not being truly servants of God. And so he uses imagery that the people would have understood, which was the idea of sheep and pasture and everything that goes along with that. The images that Jesus uses here in this passage highlight several different things. First, he, the sheep in this passage represent the people of God. The sheep are meant to refer to those who are incredibly valuable but are in need of leading and protecting. In verse 2, Jesus refers to the shepherd. Now, the shepherd refers to someone who leads and cares for the sheep. You know, often in the Bible, we see where the image of the shepherd refers to God. We can remember the famous uh, Psalm 23 where the psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd. 
And then Jesus uses the terminology of the thief or the robber to refer to those who were there to steal, kill, and destroy the sheep. And in this passage, Jesus is referring to these religious leaders as the thieves and the robbers. And then Jesus uses the imagery of the pasture that held the sheep, sheepfold. And the pasture was what provided security and sustenance for the sheep. In Jesus' day, uh, shepherds would graze their flocks during the day, but at night they would lead them back into the pasture where they could be cared for overnight. Now, often these pastures were basically just fields that had fences that were made of piled up rocks, or sometimes they would use portions of the terrain uh, to help keep out thieves and robbers. But usually these pastures would have just one gate, one door, one entranceway into that pasture. Jesus says in this statement, I am the door. Now, in, in that day, They didn't have the gates like we would think about or a physical door like today. But essentially it was the gap in the wall. And so it was the shepherd's responsibility to stand in the gap. If you ever heard that terminology before, someone who stands in the gap. Jesus would basically, he's saying that the shepherd would become the door. He's the one who would guard. He was guarding that entrance point. So as Jesus is talking about himself being the door and the gateway here, he's talking about not only him being the entry point into God's pasture, but he's also showing us a picture that he is the shepherd in the gap. So today, I want us to to look at what does it mean for us today? What is the promise for us today? What does it mean for Jesus to be the door? If you're keeping notes this morning, our first truth today is that Jesus saying, I am the door, is a promise that he provides access to God. If you're keeping notes this morning, it's that he provides access to God. You know, one of the main functions of a door is it allows you to go from one place to another. Doors give us access to places. Here in this passage, Jesus is making a distinction between himself and the religious leaders of his day, and he's saying, I am the doorway that leads to God and his Promises. You know, one of the main questions that we always ask about a door, we think about a door going in somewhere, we say, where does that door lead? What does this door take us to? What is it providing access to? And so here in this passage, Jesus gives us some promises about what he is providing access to. So let me give you those this morning. First, in this passage, Jesus is saying for those who enter through him, he promises salvation. Notice there in John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Now, you know, if you think about it, the word salvation is almost exclusively a Christian term in our culture today. By by most world standards, it is an unused, unimportant word. However, for those of us who are Christians, we know that to be saved or to receive salvation is absolutely the most important word in the world today because it is the difference in us entering a relationship with God or not. And it's something, salvation is something that every soul needs. To be saved means several different things. First, it means to be forgiven of our sins before a holy God. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it speaks about how salvation offers forgiveness, saying, speaking of Jesus, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration 
and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible makes it clear that all of us as humanity, we are all sinners before a holy God and that we have transgressed his law and that carries with it some great consequences. However, to be saved means that God gives us mercy. It means he washes us. He gives us not what we deserve, but out of his love, he gives us mercy. And that's important because to be saved also means to avoid the wrath of God that will last for all eternity. In Romans 5, 9, the Apostle Paul is speaking. We see that to be saved means that we avoid the wrath of God. He says this, much more than having been justified by his blood, speaking of the cross, what Jesus did, justified, meaning him forgiving us of our sin, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. You know, the Bible makes it clear that God is holy and he must punish sin. However, if we're saved through Jesus, we avoid the wrath of God. Church, this is a big deal. It's impossible to, uh, it's, it's impossible for us to be able to fathom, to wrap our minds around how big of a deal this is. The Bible says that God's wrath will be poured out on sinners in hell and it is essentially a horrible, eternal existence where the worm does not die. It is perpetual punishment. Brother John Hambrighton, one of my mentors, former pastor at Enon, he used to preach a sermon about hell and he had three points in that sermon. He said that hell is serious because it's a real place. Hell is sobering because what happens there and hell is sad because people really go there. And the reality is, is that unless we're saved, we are all one heartbeat away from hell and the judgment of God. But also to be saved means to be rescued from a life separated from God. In Romans 5.10, it says, For if we, while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When Jesus says, enter through the doorway, enter through him, he's offering to us forgiveness. He's offering to us a way out of eternal judgment. But more than that, he is offering to us connection and reconciliation with the God who created us. That word reconciled basically means if somebody, if there's conflict, the conflict has been restored. It has been fixed. Jesus through the death, through his sacrificial death, took our sin, which then bridged the gap of our conflict from God. So we go from being enemies of God to being sons and daughters of God. This is what Jesus offers when he says, enter through the door and you will be saved. Church, there is nothing better in this world than to experience the life-changing, soul-cleansing, love-filling salvation of Jesus. As the old hymn says, Give the winds a mighty voice. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let the nations now rejoice. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Shout salvation full and free. Highest hills and deepest cave. This is our song of victory. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. If we enter through the door, we are saved. Secondly, in this text we see that those who enter through Jesus are promised God's shepherding in life. Notice in John 10, 9, just after Jesus speaks about salvation, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out. 
The phrase that Jesus used here, uses here is about going in and out is referring to how the shepherds in his day would daily lead their sheep out of the protection of the pasture to graze in the nearby fields. But the promise was is that once he led them out of that area is that he would constantly be with them. Once we are brought into a relationship with God, we are his and he promises that he will lead and protect us in our lives. So many people today, they live a life separated from God and because of that, they live a shepherdless life. At the end of the day, your decisions, your life, your future, everything is on you. And that's not the way God intended us to live. And we feel that. We know that. But what Jesus offers is to be our shepherd. Later in John 10, 27, Jesus spoke about this relationship of God and his people. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. How beautiful is it is to have God lead your life, to be led by God. Just this last week, Kimberly and I went to the Southern Baptist Convention, and one of our favorite parts of the convention is to go to the International Mission Board's dinner where they celebrate all that is going on with our missionaries that we get to be a part of through our giving here at Enon Baptist Church. And Dr. Paul Chitwood, the president of the International Mission Board, he's actually coming to Enon in, in 2024, is going to preach uh, for us. He brought on stage, uh, stage an elderly lady named Dr. Rebecca Naylor. She is a missionary and a medical doctor who has served for over 50 years in India, healing the bodies of people through medicine and their souls through the gospel. We can only imagine how much this lady is a young woman who had a medical degree who could have gone on and made a bunch of money and been successful in life but gave all of that up to go and give the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ a voice in these nations through her gift and her abilities. And when she, this humble little old lady came up to the microphone, she made one brief statement. This is what she said. She said, obedience is the key to joy and then walked off the stage. And from this lady who had walked with Jesus for over 50 years serving God, the greatest word of advice she could give to a room full of pastors and potential missionaries is basically to say, when you let Jesus lead your life, life is always better. And friends, today, if you are shepherdless, Jesus is inviting you to come. And then finally in this text, we see that those, that those who enter through Jesus are promised God's satisfaction look with me at the last line in, in, in John 10 9 Jesus says I'm the door if anyone enters through me he will be saved he will go in and out and find pasture you know the word there for pasture basically just means food it means fodder the imagery here is that those who follow Jesus are led by him to satisfying grazing again if you go back to Psalms 23 we see the psalmist talked about when God is leading your life he leads you to where you can find satisfaction. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me down in green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. The picture there is that God will lead you to the places where your soul can be satisfied. We talked about this just a few weeks ago in the first I am statement. Jesus said that I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. You know, when I think about the difference in being 
really satisfied and kind of somewhat satisfied. I think about the difference in snacking and truly sitting down for a meal. I don't know if any of y'all ever struggle with that or not. A snack, like a pack of crackers or some potato chips, it may curb your appetite for the moment, but in the end, you're never really satisfied and you usually feel worse after. However, when you've sat down for a good, full, nutritious meal, like when my wife makes a big pot of homemade chicken and dumplings and cornbread, can I get an amen in here this morning? And you eat heartily. You leave the table satisfied. And after you sleep for like four hours, then you're energized to take on the task of it. Now, nutritious, probably not the best example there. But church, there are so many people That they're just snacking in life. You take whatever passing pleasure, hobby, pursuit that gives you a quick fix of happiness in life. But at the end of the day, you only feel hungrier and more empty than you did before. However, what Jesus offers for those who enter through him. Think about what he offers if you enter through him. is green pastures, is, is living water. He's offering true satisfaction today. So what does Jesus offer when he says, I'm the door? He offers salvation to save your soul. He offers shepherding to lead you in daily life. And yes, he offers full satisfaction. There's nothing better in this world than to have your soul filled with Jesus. But our second truth today is that Jesus being saying that I am the door is a truth that he also limits access to God. You know, in the same way that a door opens to provide access, a door also closes to limit access. I want you to notice in John 10, 9, these two words kind of right there in the middle. Jesus says, I am the door if anyone enters through me. Notice those two words, through me. He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Again, Jesus is using this imagery of the shepherd in the doorway, in the gap, in the rocks, in the wall. The shepherd is there not only to invite people in, but he's also there to make sure that those who are not supposed to be in do not come in. He's there to make sure that predators and thieves or that false sheep are not able to come in. Jesus saying, I'm the door, is not just him saying people can enter through him, but he's also saying that people must enter through him. Church, the Bible shows us again and again that the only way we get to God, the only way we get to satisfaction on the other side of that door, the only way we get to salvation on the other side of that door, the only way we get to a place where God is truly shepherding our lives is through Jesus. In just a few weeks, we're going to talk about this I am statement in John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In Acts 4, 12, Peter speaks of Jesus being the only way to salvation, saying, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven that has been given by which men might be saved. Speaking of Jesus. And in Revelation 21, 27, John speaks about those who enter heaven can only come through Jesus, saying, and nothing unclean. And no one who practices abomination or lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
Church, it is impossible to make the Bible say anything else other than there is one, one true God, and the only way to that God is through his son, Jesus, whom he sent. The, what the Bible shows us is there's one doorway, one way to God. Now, let me say this this morning. Let me give you a few ways, false doors, that our society and culture is promoting today. First, there is the false door of pluralism. The false door of pluralism basically says that there are many ways or many doors to God. Many of you might remember the celebrity Oprah. She celebrated this idea of a mountaintop where God is on top of the mountain and the Christians are on one side of the mountain working their way to God and the Hindus are on the other side of the mountain working their way to God and the Muslims are on one side of the mountain working their way to God. But everybody is working to the same God. Well, the Bible takes issue with this in two different ways. First, the Bible says for those of us who are followers of Jesus is that we don't have to work to God, but rather God came to us in his son Jesus. But then the Bible makes it really clear that there is only one way to God. There's no other name given under heaven by which men might be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the only door. Secondly, there's the false door of legalism. The false door of legalism basically sees Jesus as the angry bouncer at the door of heaven who is checking people's works and efforts to see if they've done enough good stuff To come in and get to God. Again, the problem with this picture biblically is that when we trust Christ as the way in his death, burial, and resurrection, that Jesus paid everything that we needed to get to God on the the cross for us to get to God, is that if I trust in anything else for that, then I am becoming part of the door. Jesus is not saying, I am the door and your works. I am the door and how much you prayed. I am the door and how much you read your Bible. I am the door and how much you went to church. All those things are wonderful and they should be fruits of true followers of Jesus. But all Jesus expects for us to enter in is faith fully in him today. You say, well, that sounds too simple. That sounds too easy. This is why it's good news today. God doesn't need you. He says, I am the door. And then finally, there's the false door of liberalism. The false door of liberalism sees Jesus as the loving hippie at the door to the presence of God who is so loving and accepting that he would never turn anyone away. And while the Bible makes it clear that Jesus does love the whole world, the Bible also says that Jesus has the Lamb's book of life. And unless our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, we will not come in. Church, Jesus is the door. He is the only door. And that means that not everyone is entering through that door. That means not everyone is on their way to God, which means that there's judgment on the other side. But it also means that they're missing life and true abundance of life on this earth. And so that's why it's so important that we bring the gospel of Jesus to our neighbors, to the nations, to those around us, because he is the door. Let me tell you this morning, That's also why this summer we can't stop inviting people to church. Friends, I I believe, I'm going to tell you a story here in a moment, but I believe that there are people who will come to a gym who may not darken the doors of a church. This is an opportunity for us today to bring people to situations, to share the gospel with those around us. So today, Jesus saying, I am the door, means he provides access to God. It means he limits access to God. And then finally this morning, our third and final truth today, is that Jesus saying, I am the door, means he invites access 
to God. You know, a door, for the most part, unless it's intended to be a secret door, and there are such things as that, but, but for the most part, a door is always intended to be visible. No, no builder, when he's designing your house, tries to hide the front door. You know, that just doesn't make sense. No, 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 doors are intended to direct traffic flow. They are intended to show us the way. In short, a door inherently invites access. It invites people to come. In John 10, 9, I want to draw your attention to three final words I want us to look at in this verse this morning. Jesus says, I am the door. And I want you to underline these three words. If anyone enters. If anyone enters. Now I want you to think about this verse as a whole again. And the, the, the first part of this verse answers the question, who is Jesus? Jesus says, I am the door. The last part of this verse answers the question, what does Jesus offer? He offers for us to be saved. He offers to lead our lives. He offers to satisfy our soul. But right here in the middle, Jesus answers the question, well, then who may enter? And he answers it with this word, anyone. Anyone may enter. This is Jesus basically saying, come to me, come through me. This is Jesus saying, enter in. Yeah, I love that phrase, enter in. Enter in is a passage, is a verse, is something that we see all over Scripture, all over the Bible. We see God inviting people to enter in. God told Noah and his family before the flood came, he said, enter in to the ark. God spoke to, through Moses to his people about a covenant that he was inviting them to enter into in which he would lead them and he would make them a great nation and he would lead them to a land flowing with milk and honey. The Bible says for those of us who are followers of Jesus, Jesus says one day we will stand before God and the judge will say to us, enter in to the joy of your master. All over scripture we see God inviting us to enter in. And here in this statement, as Jesus says, I am the door, he is inviting us to enter in. Now, I want to invite Brother Ron to make his way back up, and I want you to try to take your attention off the Satan in the form of a Tweety Bird this morning that's flying around the sanctuary here today. But I want you to think about this this morning. There are no greater needs that we have in life. There's no greater needs that we have in life as first to be saved. Eternal consequences. We need nothing greater than the way we need Jesus and His mercy and His forgiveness. There's nothing that we need more in this life than to be led, to be shepherded, that we can go in and out with a, with a shepherd leading us and directing us. So many people feel lost in this world. I can't imagine living one day in this life without God leading and directing my life. We need that. We need that more than we could possibly imagine. Some of you this morning, right now, you recognize how lost you are. you got a good plan. Let me say something. Everybody's got a plan until life happens. And then life happens and the rug comes out from underneath you and you recognize that it's all based on you. And at the end of the day, you're not perfect. You can't depend on your intelligence, on your education, on your job, on your health. 
What can you depend on? We need a shepherd. And at the end of the day, we recognize that even on our best days, when we got money in the bank account, we got a great job, we've got the most beautiful family, when everything else in your world is good, but you lay your head on your pillow at night and you're empty, then you need somebody who can fill your soul with that is real. And this is the God is what is promising. It's what he's promising is on the other side of that door. Think about that. It's our greatest needs. I want you to think about what Jesus could have done. He could have said to get to those things, you've got to climb this mountain. But he didn't say that. Jesus said to get to salvation, you're going to have to swim across this ocean. But he didn't say that. He could say, to get to me, you've got to read this or you've got to do that. You've got to. He could have given us a great list of works and efforts. And it would have been worth our time because we need it so desperately. But of all of the images, of all of the pictures that Jesus says to the world that he gave us today, how much more simple could he give us than just to say, enter in. Just enter in. I've done all that's needed. Just enter in. Some of you this morning, you don't have a Savior. You don't truly know Jesus today. He is inviting you this morning to enter in. Some of you this morning, you know Jesus. Let me say something to you today. Entering in through Him is not once. I need to do that every day. I need His saving grace over me every day. Praise God for that. I need His shepherding, His leading every day. Some of you are living a very moderate Christian lifestyle, but your soul is not burning with the passion of God because you're not meeting with Him this morning. What do you got to do? Jesus, I'm entering in. I want you today. I want you. I said we've been praying for revival this summer. Maybe revival begins today. Maybe it begins today in some of our hearts and lives. We say, Jesus, you're not mad at me. You don't need my works or efforts. You just need my faith. Jesus, here I am. I'm going to invite you all over this room to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, You've never truly entered in. You say, Pastor Zach, I want to do that today. I want to ask Jesus to save me. Would you just glance up at me right there where you are? Nobody looking around. It's just you and I. Would you just glance up? Amen. Others in this room, you say, Pastor Zach, that's me. Just glance up. Keep your eyes on me just for a moment there. Amen. This is what I'm going to invite you to do. If you need Jesus to be your Savior, right there where you are, amen, just say, Jesus, save me. I don't want to trust in myself. Jesus, I'm coming to you. Save me. I give my life to you. Now, if some of you are in here today and you say, Pastor Zach, I need revival. I have entered, but I haven't been there in a while. And today, would you say, Pastor Zach, I need God to do revival work in me. With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just look up at me right now? Amen. Amen. Eyes all over the room. You say, Pastor's like, that's me. I need Jesus to do revival work in me. Amen. Then right here in these next few moments as we sing, make an altar before God and just say, Jesus, 
coming back to you. Here I am. I believe in you. Thank you for loving me. I'm running to you. If you need somebody to pray for you, our pastors will be up front. If you need to join this church, if we can help you in any way, you feel free to come as we sing. But as we sing, I encourage you, go spend some time with God.